This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Abigail Snyder, and I'm joined by Laura Belts, Director of Policy Reform at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, also known as FIRE. Laura holds a BA in English from Penn State University and a JD from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Today, I'm talking to Laura all about speech codes on college campuses. We're going to get into the history of these unconstitutional codes, significant court cases that have challenged them, and learn more about what FIRE is doing to protect the right to free speech on college campuses. Laura, thank you so much for joining me here on the station. Sure thing. Thank you for having me. First, for anyone who doesn't know, explain what a speech code is and how university administrators have used them to censor free speech on college campuses. Sure. So it's a general term that we use to refer to restrictions on expression that uh, restrict speech that would be protected at society at large um, on college campuses. Uh, So this can be everything from what you think of immediately when you think of regulations on student speech, like a protest policy or a policy about where you can hand out flyers on campus. Uh, But that also includes things like harassment policies uh, that may be used to infringe on on speech that may be subjectively offensive, but that is protected under the First Amendment. Uh, So we see those sort of how you speak regulations and then what you can speak about regulations. Now that we know what speech codes are, I'd like to go back to the very beginning of speech codes. When were the first speech codes uh, implemented and why were they implemented and what was the response to them? So we saw them grow enormously in the 80s and 90s. Uh, This is because during the 1970s, we saw um, a lot of women and minority students arrive on campuses. And and so uh, there there was this expectation on the part of administrators, and I'm sure it was in part true that there would be tension because of of the growth of female minority students coming on campus and that there would be an increase in offensive, say, racist, sexist speech uh, because of it. Uh, so they put in place these policies that that it, that that would um, that, that could be used to to regulate that sort of racist, sexist speech. And so, um, you know, and, and during the 90s, the expansion of Title IX meant colleges were were concerned with an obligation to prevent discriminatory harassment, you know, as they should. Uh, but they set forth a lot of vague harassment policies that 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 banned subjectively offensive speech as a result. So the administrators who first implemented speech codes had to be influenced by some school of thought. I mean, to wake up one day and decide to censor students who are clearly protected by the First Amendment in voicing their beliefs seems crazy. So who are the thinkers and what are the ideologies that led to the creation of speech codes? Or to put it more boldly, what school of thought uh, created that path to the ultimate creation of speech codes where students, Americans, were and are silenced from sharing their beliefs? I I think, and and I don't know if there were particular thought leaders, individuals, uh, but but I think it probably came from a a good place of wanting to prevent offensive speech that creates a hostile environment for students, that prevents students from going to class and getting their education. And that is, of course, why discriminatory harassment is unlawful and is not protected by the First Amendment. Uh, But unfortunately, they were heavy handed with it. Uh, they, they, they They were seeking to eliminate 
eliminate these barriers to students' education. Uh, but what they ended up with were policies that uh, prevented debate, that prevented the exchange of ideas. Uh, and I think also another motivation may have been looking to limit disruptions on campus. So that's a, that's a bit more of a cynical view of, of why they put these in place. But uh, my cynical view is that they, they were probably motivated to make life a little bit easier for them and, and remove these sorts of big clashes of protests on campus to, to, to lower the threat of, of there being uh, a big clash over offensive views, unpopular views on campus. So I, I think probably a little bit of, of their heart was in the right place and a little bit more of the, the cynical motivations both played a part. Why are school administrators still allowed to get away with implementing these speech codes? I mean, as you've explained, it's, it's a violation of students' First Amendment right to free speech. So why hasn't anyone to this day put an end to speech codes? Well, we at FIRE are sure trying, but uh, the thing is, because they aren't allowed to have these in place, certainly not public universities, you know, public universities legally bound by the First Amendment. Private schools can, to a certain extent, make their own rules, though, if they promise students free expression rights, they may be held to that um, under a contract law theory. But um, in, in any case, you know, they, they legally can't do this. Uh, but I, I think the problem is there are just so many universities in the country. Uh, there are over 2,000 four-year schools in the United States alone uh, that I, I think a lot of them just get away with it because people aren't challenged. Challenging it, and, and there are groups like Fire that do challenge these speech codes. But you know, we we only have so much time, and and when you see these unconstitutional policies at the majority of schools, um, it, it can be difficult. So so there are there are ways that we approach it to try to get more schools to revise their policies. Um, legislation is a good way of doing it because if a school or it, rather if a state bans something like free speech zone policies in all public institutions in the state, um, that can get a lot of schools to to move on revising these policies. Um, but uh, to paraphrase Justice Brandeis, uh, we think that sunlight is the best disinfectant. So just by drawing more attention to these unconstitutional codes, um, we, we work to get them revised. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Abigail Snyder, joined by Laura Belts. Director of Policy Reform at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. And we're talking all things speech codes on college campuses. Laura, how do courts generally interpret speech codes? Like we've, we've said, they're unconstitutional at their core. But what have the courts, including the Supreme Court, had to say when cases involving speech codes have come before them? Well, challenges to speech codes have been overwhelmingly successful, nearly nearly a hundred percent, and and so that that is sure helpful. And and the reason is is that the First Amendment is very clear, and First Amendment precedent from the Supreme Court is quite clear. There is decades of decisions from the Supreme Court that say that you can't, as a government actor, limit speech on the basis that it, it is a found offensive alone. And, and, and the court is extremely clear that viewpoint discrimination is unconstitutional. Uh, so these speech codes that allow the punishment of particular viewpoints are unconstitutional. 
Um, and, and so the first challenge to a university speech code uh, came in 1989 at the University of Michigan. And a federal district court found that the University of Michigan's harassment policy was unconstitutionally overbroad. Um, it, it forbade any behavior that stigmatizes on the basis of protected classes and that causes a demeaning environment uh, for their education. Um, and that definition, it certainly does include unlawful harassment that isn't protected by the First Amendment, but a demeaning environment, speech that stigmatizes and creates a demeaning environment, that could just be a single off-color joke. Uh, so, so that, so therefore, the court found that it was overbroad, meaning it, it can be used to prevent unlawful harassment, but it also includes protected speech. Uh, so, so that case in 1989 really kicked things off, and and ever since, uh, courts have overwhelmingly um, enjoined or overturned these sorts of policies. Um, you know, it, there have been lots of decisions about harassment policies like that. There have also been uh, decisions and settlement agreements and in cases where schools have these free speech zone policies that I referred to earlier. These these policies that force students into a small out of the way area on campus and say that's the only place they're allowed to express themselves. Um, so so courts have have been overturning those. And, and, and it's helpful because it allows us to demonstrate that these sorts of policies uh, certainly are unconstitutional. So the idea of censoring an American with First Amendment rights is terrible in any context. <laughs> but why are speech codes in the university context especially so bad? In other words, how are speech codes antithetical to the purpose of a university in particular? Yeah, that's a great point, because certainly, you know, if this policy were applying at a public park, we would we would also find it unconstitutional. But uh, colleges should be the centers of intellectual debate and inquiry where where scholars can explore whatever topics they'd like. And when students can learn from people with opposing views from one another. Uh, but but, you know, if if you hear that you, there's a policy on campus that says you can't get out and protest unless you submit a request and get a permit two weeks in advance. Uh, or, or if there's a policy that says you can't use words that other people find offensive, uh, students will end up thinking, all right, even if this policy isn't actually applied against me, um, I don't even want to get close to infringing on that. I don't, I don't even want to get close uh, to, to risking punishment. Uh, and, and that's especially true if you're a student who has views that are unpopular on the campus, uh, because you know those who express more mainstream opinions may not be bothered by administrators, by the policies that restrict speech. Uh, but those expressing more controversial views are more likely to attract attention and censorship. Uh, so, so that ends up being creating this echo chamber on campus, and it means that that sort of marketplace of ideas theory is, is prevented. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Abigail Snyder, joined by Laura Belts, Director of Policy Reform at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, and we're talking about speech codes on college campuses. Laura, along the lines of your, of your last response, if college students listening to this are facing punishment due to speech codes and they fear that they're powerless when up against their powerful administration, what hope can you offer them 
And what steps can they take to ensure their right to free speech is protected? Well, they are certainly not powerless. Um, you know, at a public university, their free speech rights are crystal clear. Uh, so if they find themselves being censored on campus, if they find themselves, you know, censoring themselves because themselves because they, they are worried about being punished, um, they, they should feel secure in the fact that their free speech rights uh, do back them up. And, and, if, and if the administration does take action against them, you know, fire has your back. Uh, we, we can certainly review your case and, and, and see, see what we can do. Uh, but even at a private institution where you don't have the First Amendment um, backing you up, uh, most private institutions do promise their students free speech rights and their official policies. Uh, so you can certainly point to a policy at your school that says that you have free speech rights and, and demonstrate that the school isn't fulfilling their promises. So if you're at a private institution, most of those schools do promise their students free speech rights. So if you go public with a case of censorship like that, um, that can be really powerful as far as letting alumni and particularly donors of that institution that that school is not living up to their commitment and policy. And something like that can be really persuasive to administrators um, that they will be less likely to infringe on students' free speech rights. I imagine university administrators try to justify speech codes by saying they exist to keep students safe. And like you've said, keeping students safe is important and ensuring that they're, they're not discriminated against is equally important. But of course, there's also the First Amendment. So what's the balance that has to be struck between allowing free speech on college campuses and then keeping students safe? Is there any situation where a speech code is justifiable to keep students safe from physical harm? Sure. And, and that's exactly why um, my department at FIRE, the policy reform department, we always work with schools to recommend we, we don't say you need to ditch all of your policies, no student conduct code, uh, you know, throw it all out. We, we, we work with them to make sure they can target misconduct that does threaten student safety, that does prevent them from receiving their education uh, without infringing on free speech rights. Um, so certainly they need to have a harassment policy, but let's use the Supreme Court's definition of harassment that ensures that that speech that is protected under First Amendment standards isn't isn't infringed upon because it's such a specific definition. Um, additionally, for something like a protest policy, you know, protest policies need to be um, narrow regulations, narrowly tailored, um, and, 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 but they can put in place reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. So schools can say, you know, you can't be on a megaphone in the middle of the night just because you have a right to protest on campus. Um, so there are certainly more narrow regulations that schools can put on place. They just can't put these overbroad regulations in place. Um, and, and certainly if, if a speaker is coming to campus where there are actually, um, there are actually threats to students on the campus that have been verified um, by law enforcement, um, the school can put in place different protections for students in those sorts of situations. Turning a little to your work at FIRE, we'd love to learn more about your organization. So what is FIRE doing to protect the right to free speech on college campuses? 
Well, FIRE was founded a little over two decades ago, and, and we sort of thought, all right, this will just be a temporary thing until until all these speech codes are defeated, until the censorship is defeated. Unfortunately, we have not put ourselves out of business yet, uh, but we have a few different ways of fighting um, for free speech of students and faculty on campuses. Uh, my work is in policy and and we work to get those regulations as written on the books fixed up uh but even when schools have great policies on the books they still manage to censor students so uh we do direct defense of students and faculty members uh, we send letters to school publicity that sort of thing um and then in cases we, we we do litigate cases where where that is necessary and to and to affirm and make clear precedent in cases uh, we also have a legislative group that supports speech protective legislation and, and fights against legislation that threatens free speech rights. Uh, so we have a lot of different avenues uh, toward, toward the same thing, sort of preventative care, but then also the, the more reactive, um, the reactive methods. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Abigail Snyder, and today I'm joined by Laura Belts, the Director of Policy Reform at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, and we're talking about speech codes on college campuses. Every year, FIRE releases a list of the top 10 worst colleges for free speech. So Laura, explain how you all compile that list, and if it's made a difference, have you seen schools make changes to speech codes after getting a not-so-great shout-out from FIRE? Yeah, so that list, it's based on actions that they have taken uh, against repeat. So so these are the cases. These are when they've censored students, when they've censored faculty members. And and so those those 10 schools are ones that we, we have a meeting every year where we talk about what, what schools we think should be on the list. And it's really the standouts, the ones where they they didn't just censor, but they doubled down uh, the, the kind of lost causes. And, and, you know, I say lost causes, some of them have have um, turned around and improved matters and and made a plan for next time of all right there there's been this rights infringement how can we handle this better the next time there's a controversy over speech um, but but in addition to that 10 worst list we also put out an annual report about policies at schools and we have found that schools as a result of that have improved their policies on expression. Um, when we put out the report in 2009, 75% of schools were earning our worst rating, meaning they had clear and substantial restrictions on speech. And today, that figure is below 20%. So in a little over a decade, uh, a lot of schools have turned it around uh, slowly but surely. And, and so, you know, I don't think all hope is lost. I, I think that if we do shine a light on these issues, uh, schools and, and students and alumni and everyone who cares about schools indicate to their schools that they care about it, uh, I think we can get some real change here. Finally, if people are interested in learning more about FIRE, how can they do that? Well, you can head to thefire.org. Uh, we, of course, do this campus work, but FIRE in the past year also expanded to take off-campus cases. So if you care about free speech, whether it's in the college context or, or beyond, um, there's lots of resources, news, and, and interesting things to check out at thefire.org. Laura, thanks so much for taking the time to inform us about speech codes. 
While we hope that speech codes will one day end, I'm happy to know that an organization like FIRE is there to protect students' right to free speech. Thanks so much for having me, Abigail. You've been listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Abigail Snyder, and I've been joined by Laura Belts of FIRE. I hope you've enjoyed this interview and that you'll tune in again for more special content.